Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenton, Associate Editor at the Tracking Board, and with me, as always, are... I'm Hai Chen Bui, a pop culture journalist in the D.C. area. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So today, we're going to be starting a new monthly feature called Millennial Movie Review. So we're going to be picking a movie every month that we're just going to do a full-on review of, similar to our Captain America Civil War episodes last year, or this year, and our Star Wars review from last year. So this month, since there weren't a lot of movies out in October that we kind of, that we're really interested in, um, we picked one from September, um, that came out in September, Queen of Katsue. Um, it's a Disney feature starring Lupita Nyong'o, um, I can never say his name. David Oyelowo. David Oyelowo, um, a newcomer who is, uh, I should pick, I should look up these names actually because <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Medina Nalwanga. Uh, Nalwanga. So it is the true story of a Uganda-born, um, slum child who becomes a chess master and it's really inspirational and I think that will be a good intro to start off our review. So I was surprised by how much I liked the movie because I uh, came in expecting kind of another a typical Disney inspirational movie like no rough edges kind of with that glossy sheen but it actually came off as very authentic to me and I really liked there were a lot more complexities to like the characters in the movies especially Lupita Nyong'o's character than I anticipated so I really enjoyed that and like in another movie like a biopic about the chess master for example it would concentrate more on like the strategies and the game itself but I liked that it was very rooted in like the characters and like their emotional journeys and stuff um and yeah, I I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, what did you guys think of it? I really liked it, too. I thought it was a really good, heartfelt movie with a lot of emotion behind it, and you can tell that they really wanted to tell the story. Um, I really liked the title cards, I thought, for the for the years. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, usually it's just, like, plain white text or something, but they really went, like, above and beyond for to give every part of the movie an authentic you know, or not authentic, but just like a real feel to it, mm-hmm. and it the, the the title cards always seemed like almost like painted on. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked all the performances. Uh, David Oyelowo was great. I thought he was. I didn't expect that much of him in the movie. Like I didn't think he was a, a major character. Um, so I was really happy to see him uh, like perform pretty much every emotion because. Um, uh, in Selma, he was he had to play Martin Luther King Jr. as as uh, as humanly as possible, but um, he didn't really ever get to like I guess cut loose. Um, in he Selma. always had like this austere yeah, sort of. Yeah, he was always um, very very like stalwart, mm-hmm. and in this one, he got to like run around and laugh and and like s- smile and joke and like everything that he, he it was he was just really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the actress who played Fiona was great. Um, she had a lot of depth to her uh, performance, and Lupita Nyong'o is, as always, is always Amazing. like she's wonderful. She's so good, and yeah. I'm so excited that she's like doing more. 
Yeah, I really miss seeing her on screen. Like seeing her in Queen of Cotsway, it really reminded me how great she was in 12 Years a Slave. Cause mm-hmm. She can just like emote so well just with her eyes. And it's just like, it's pretty amazing how like I thought that her character was going to originally be just like the long-suffering, supportive mother who just wants the best for her children. But it actually was a little bit more complex than that. Like she had her own like... Um, wishes and feelings and kind of like motivations as well and it wasn't like you know she was a terrible mother who kind of like uh, stood in the way of like her her daughter's dream either it was just that like she only knew one way of life and in that way that kind of became its own obstacle yeah she was like for for worse or better she was almost the antagonist of the film Mm -hmm. but not in any bad like villain way it was Mm -hmm. just that she her goals were not the same goals as Fiona's and that was the that's like the the true conflict of the story, um, but I, at the same time they were able to reconcile, mm-hmm. and Fiona was able to go on and be a great champion. And I thought one thing I want I really wanted to, to talk about was that I liked how even though spoilers I guess she didn't make she didn't win in the in the Olympiad mm-hmm. she won for Uganda mm-hmm. like she became the Ugandan champion where where I think that that meant a lot more than representing to the all, all the world. It was much more localized. Because, like, at the end of the movie, everyone was really excited for her when she came back to Cotway. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a, a good moment to show that it wasn't about... It, it was never really about being a, a world champion. It always ended up being about being, like, true true to your, to your heritage and where you're from. I like that um, read on it. Because I remember when I was watching it, I was like, oh, it seems a little anticlimactic to have, like, the big showdown at the end be kind of a step down from yeah. like, the Olympiad where she like was she lost and was kind of humiliated and like had that sort of like defeat and like I if if this was for example a fictional film then you would have like, the opposite. Yeah, but she I, would go back. She yeah, would go yeah. she would she would lose in Uganda and then go to the Olympiad. Yeah, 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 exactly. But um it I do like the idea that it's more like localized. Her family is there, for example. Yeah. And, like, it's more like just kind of about like that. It goes back to like how her family and like her community, what what they mean to her. It's almost like the, the stakes were higher for that mm-hmm. for that match than the one in the in the Olympiad. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with all of this. <laughs> um, yeah, I really love this film. Um, I I think there's still somewhat of a sheen, like a Disney sheen to it, mm-hmm. um, which is expected. But like at the end of the day, thank goodness there was no white savior in the film. Same. Because Disney really is known for having their sport movies you know, with, like, John white Hans saviors. Or their, their, uh, their John Hams or their uh, is it Ed? Kevin Costner's. Yeah, Kevin Costner. Yeah. Kevin Costner's a white savior in every movie that he's or in. Dennis I'm Quaid. Sure. Every movie. <laughs> yeah. Jason Statham. Um, they're, all, they're all white saviors. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really glad that there was none of that in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I... I think it's interesting, Willoughby, that you talk about, like, the conflict between uh, Fiona and her mother, um, which is done really well for me. But, like, I think the primary conflict that, like, I witnessed in the movie was, like, Fiona versus sort of just the life she knew versus the life she wanted. True. And kind of having to reconcile the two. Um, Which, like, it gets so much more complex than you think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like you're like oh it's a Disney film it's going to be the same inspirational story we've seen a thousand times yeah and Everyone's like smiling on the poster <laughs> yeah and it is in some ways like David Oyelowo like meets his girl and trains her and she rises to the occasion and it is very inspirational it's a very um, like at 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 
at minimum it's cliche, but it's so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they deal with so many different things. I like that you kind of really get a feel of Fiona's community, and you get to know, like, the other children as well. Like, you get to know her brother, Brian, mm-hmm. and her sister, Knight, and the other kids who are playing chess. And it really is sort of this community. Um, I also really liked how the film explored, like, the classism within Uganda and, like, within Africa and just kind of, like, the way that people look at those who live in the slums Mm -hmm. as, like, less than. Um, Like, when Robert's first trying to get his team in that first competition and, like, at first they don't want to because, you know, and they actually say, like, you know, like, the diseases that these kids have. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like how they kind of portrayed Uganda as being a very, like, layered sort of society. Yeah, it's not all one class that, if if you don't know much about Africa or African countries, you might think it's all the same, but it's definitely not. It's very uh, substantial. And there is even, like, a hierarchy within the children at the slums, too, living in the slums, too, because, like, Fiona and her brother Brian were also, like, they were... They weren't even, like, part of the team initially who were mm-hmm. playing chess and were being, like, um, taken care of by the ministry. They were, like, outside, even more outsiders looking in, in yeah, that sense. Yeah, and they were, like, they were made fun of because they, they smelled funny or mm-hmm. they weren't dressed well. Mm-hmm. And then they came back with, like, a shower mm-hmm. and fresh clothes. and But they were, so they were part of that community. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, it's very clear that when they go to the d- different tournaments that they don't have a uniform. Mm-hmm. Everyone else has some sort of uniform dis- class distinction school distinction but they just have the, the mm-hmm. na- their name tags and their, and their clothes on their backs I do want to say though even though it does like it, like Anya said has that um, Disney sheen it's all very inspirational I do think that because it delves so much into like the the slums and like that community yeah like that is unlike what I would expect in a Disney film and I do yeah. think that it's commendable that they go into like those kind of issues um, like they're not going to go into like the blood and guts and everything, ter- like all the drug sl- drug lords and everything that go there. But like they, you can see like the fringes of it. Yeah. And I like that. It's like not overt, but you can kind of see like they're not like glossing it over or like they're not shying away from shying it. away from it. So I did like that. I also think one of my other favorite characters in the film was definitely Sarah, <laughs> Robert's wife, mm-hmm. because I just thought she was like an unsung hero in this film. Just, like, how supportive she was of Robert, but also, like, the kids and, like, teaching them to read and just, like, hosting all these children. And, you know, at the end of the film when they say, like, where the real-life people are now and, like, several of them were, are ended up living with Robert and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just thought she was a really wonderful character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, that she kind of subverts the stereotypical wife of the coach in this type of movie where usually the wife is either um, very flat in character and, he, and he is either for what the what the what the coach is doing or against it. Yeah, like completely supportive or like also or, or completely against it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think she had a, she had a, a great way of talking about how of, of like t- trying to make the, the, a life for themselves, but also for these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that because like she, they have a kid of their own, um, but. It, you, you could tell that they very much cared for these kids as well, um, and pretty much, like you said, they ended up—they're ending up like raising them. Yeah, yeah, which is really great. 
Um, I think, you know, also just, like, this, like, life that they lead, like, you know, like, David Oyelowo and his wife have more than, like, Fiona's family has, and you kind of see that difference in kind of the fact that they're a little bit more privileged mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. Fiona is. Because um, he, he went to university. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And so he's kind of, like, he was able to attain more. Um, but at the same time, yeah. he do, he never looks down on anybody mm-hmm. uh, yeah. within the community. He never talks down to Lupita Nyong'o or anybody like in that area. Like I thought that was really great because like everyone's kind of in this in this world together. Yeah, I really love the scenes between him and Lupita Nyong'o because like they both want good things for Fiona. Yeah, yeah. But they both come from totally different perspectives, and I really like kind of their scenes together. I like and that, too. how they clash, but also try and understand one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he always tells her that, you know, like, uh, about, like, getting Fiona and Brian into a school, and, you know, you could just kind of tell that Lupita Nyong'o, her character, was just, like, she wants that, but at the same time, she also needs the maze to be sold. Mm-hmm. And so that that's where her conflict is, is that she wants better things for her family but at the same time to maintain the status quo that they're in at which is already like very shaky very shaky they need to they still need to support with with selling maize and stuff and Mm -hmm. so i thought that that was a real it was very complex really deep that yeah otherwise we in other types of move other movies of this nature we wouldn't get yeah it's a very realistic kind of tough situation that she was in that she couldn't like sacrifice you know the short term for the long term, essentially. It it's interesting because that does call back to like Fiona's whole struggle with um, the safe square and like thinking eight, thinking a couple moves ahead and stuff like that. Yeah. So I like I liked how that kind of wrapped up in it and um, like despite them not really talking much about chess, like that was the one of the one parts like of chess strategy that really resonated throughout the entire movie. Yeah, I think they they pick they picked and choose their chess metaphor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think and they it wasn't too like uh I guess not subtle uh the opposite of subtle it it was very it wasn't it, too on the nose it wasn't too on the nose mm-hmm. um and so and I, I'm also glad they didn't talk about how the home that they got at the end was their new uh safe square because mm. that I, that would have been super cliche and I would have rolled my eyes but they, <laughs> but they said we are home and I'm like oh, um, I'm crying now. yeah it was good it was it was I never felt like it was emotionally manipulated manipulative either because yeah. I do feel like that's a danger with these kind of inspirational yes. true life biopics but I did feel like yeah again it was genuine it was very like authentic and I do like um, the kind of the journey that all the characters go on that I felt like it, I mean it's realistic because it did happen it did happen yeah. but yeah it's never just like it's not another oh this is like such an inspiration because like of how they rose up from their ranks and like how because it's not they're they're not like living in Malibu mm-hmm. they 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 were they moved up incrementally but mm-hmm. still better than where they were. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the music in that movie yeah. because that was the music really was well really done. great. Yeah. Um, does anyone know who did the score? Uh, I saw in the credits, but I don't remember. Okay, it's um, Alex Alex Hefs. Alex Hefs. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was really well done. Like the way that they did, kind of like the sweeping uh, surge of music whenever they had the games, and it was always like very in line with I don't know the rest of 
the film. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Also, and they had some of those like pop songs and like yeah pop songs and stuff, especially when like Fiona's dancing with her brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those like, were in the slums and everything. That, that was always really fun to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a mixture of just kind of like pop and classical, and like the classical again never felt like oh some sort of concerto or something. It yeah. was felt it felt very like true to the characters and like the world that they live in. So I I really wanted I really liked the music and I wanted to give a shout out to it. <laughs> um, so I was wondering I wanted to talk about kind of Fiona and her mom and kind of their difference in character and like their different arcs and stuff. And I find it really interesting that you talked about like thinking several moves ahead and stuff and mm-hmm. like obviously like Lupita Nyong'o's character like can't really afford to think several moves ahead mm-hmm. because she's sort of living a lifestyle where she has to live day by day mm-hmm. like when Brian gets hit by the motorcycle mm-hmm. um, and like they go to the hospital and she like they take him out before they don't have to pay the bill and then they get home and their home has been locked up and they can't afford to keep living there because they use the money to get Brian to the hospital and you know this is the life that she knows and she can't think eight moves ahead because you never know what's going to happen mm-hmm. and Fiona ends up like traveling to all these places and experiencing new things and she sees kind of a different life that she had never known before and so she comes back and you know she's like that Lupita Nyong'o called like a ghost mm-hmm. kind of between two worlds I really like that line that was a really great, mm-hmm. great yeah and I was just wondering if you guys had any thoughts on this on this like arc and well I'm glad that that was a part of the movie because it showed that there was that the the chess world was affecting Fiona in in that in that she wanted a better life and that she kind of got ahead of herself um thinking that she could just like she she got different hairstyles and she was you know neglecting her her familiar familial duties and she was wanting to wanting to go back to um where uh, where did they go? Uh, they were in they were in Sudan. In Sudan, yeah. So it was like a, it was a great like they were like at a resort in Sudan, they were Mai Tai, eating food that they had never eaten before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the ketchup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, like that's the thing is that they were having such a great fun time with stuff we take for granted for, mm-hmm. and they come back to the world that they know, mm-hmm. and she doesn't feel at home anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that that was a really interesting dynamic moment that I wasn't expecting. I think it's really resonant too with a lot of movies or and like even cast members who come from like this kind of world too. I'm thinking specifically of like Slumdog Millionaire where they bought brought kids who were like living in India and like in similar situations to play these kids in the movie and like you know they came um, to all these red carpet events and were staying in the nicest hotels and stuff but then afterwards they went back to live in the slums and there's like that really like impactful picture of the girl who played um, Frida Pinto's younger character um, in her Oscar dress, like, standing next to a pile of trash. So it kind of, like, it reminds me of that, and I feel like it's not just um, uh, limited to, like, for example, like, the chess world is something that happens in everything, in, like, the whole world, in every sort of, every sort of uh, industry, I guess. Yeah, like, everyone, if they're... If you experience something you've never experienced before, mm-hmm. and it's a great time, and you go back to the world you know, it's always kind of a, a difficult transition. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what Fiona went through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Fiona, like, and when she played in Sudan, she beat the girl, but like the girl was obviously much like 
more well off than Fiona was, mm-hmm. and like Fiona has that line to Robert of like she gets all these things and like but I beat her mm-hmm. yeah and like I beat her like why don't I have these things mm-hmm. like I'm the better chess player it made me really happy that they gave that arc to Fiona too because otherwise you know she'd be a very flat inspirational character and I like that they gave her flaws in the movie and didn't like shy away from that right again like and it is a real life character but like a lot of the times in biopics you tend to just kind of go with the shiny happy parts and you kind of mythicize their characters mm-hmm Exactly. And I like that that whole arc gave um, a new layer of wisdom to Lupita Nyong'o's character. Like, even though, you know, she only lives day by day and only knows, like, this world and is, like, an un- uneducated woman, she has, like, that wisdom. Like, oh, Fiona, she knows, like, what Fiona's going through, but she can't help her. And she's like, the only way I can do it is, like, the way I know how. But... She doesn't want her to just kind of be stuck between those two worlds, too. And I really, I, just, I love that moment. Lupita Nyong'o was so good in that moment. I just wish she was on screen more. Mm-hmm. Always. Always. Always want her on screen more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she had some really great moments with, like, the eldest daughter, Knight, mm-hmm. as well. And kind of, like, Knight going off with her boyfriend. And then coming back home. And you kind of see that tension and, like, kind of that Lupita Nyong'o, like... Lupita Nyong'o was right in the end, mm-hmm. but she That's never it. sort of held it over Knight's head. Mm-hmm. Um, although she did have some moments of pride, yeah, I think. There were moments when she... Before before Knight was pregnant, there were moments where she was definitely like, uh, like, I told you so. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... The, I told you this would happen. Um, and, but then once, once Knight got pregnant, she kind of... Uh, well, we didn't really see Knight a lot after that but um uh you could tell that like she, you know she was she was at the home at the end of the movie so there was clear there was reconciliation there mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i like that the movie also like while knight is one of the least fleshed out characters i feel like the movie never really like tried to condemn her or anything for no. mm-hmm. trying to find a different lifestyle for herself i think the only moment in the movie that could have been seen as like sort of not shaming night, but just like a bad moment for her was when like the flood happened. And she yeah, she left her brother. brother. Yeah. Was, I, was, I was like, oh, that's not good. Yeah, yeah. It, that it, was the only moment. But. It was like the flattest characterization moment for her. But yeah, I do feel like I do agree with you, and I kind of like that as a parallel to Fiona's arc too, like Knight's arc, in that she's trying to find a different lifestyle, but the only way she knows how is through um, men and through like like them becoming her sugar daddy, but. Fiona has like the potential to find another way of life, so I, she sees what's happening with Knight, and she's yeah. like, "I don't want that." She's like, "I don't want that to be my future." Yeah, and yeah, she yeah, and she tells Robert that you know that the time where she stays with Robert for a while mm-hmm. and like doesn't go home, and she like she talks to Robert about like getting to an age where men are going to like want her and all these things, and how mm-hmm. you know that's kind of the life that she has ahead of her. Mm-hmm. And I think even I think even Fiona struggles sometimes with seeing that she can have a different life, mm-hmm. but she can. Yeah, and again to talk about Lupita Nyong'o's character, <laughs> um, she also has that kind of brief moment where you know she she doesn't want like Knight's life and like that that life of the woman in the slums kind of going to richer men, and um, she kind of has that kind of. Uh, 
moment in like the clothes shop where she kind of mm-hmm. she has to reject the advances of the other guy, but she you can see her like considering it. Too. Yeah, and yeah. I like I think that was a really interesting moment because otherwise you know, it is it adds another complexity to her because you know she there's only so many things she can do for her children, and, and she's she's like figuring out all her options, and she mm-hmm. she knows that getting a man to provide for their family is an option, but she's very stalwart against it. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, she was like, eh, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is a movie that didn't need to, like, have all these complexities with their characters. Like, this movie could have, you know, it would have been just as inspirational to just tell the story of Fiona just becoming a chess master. Mm-hmm. And instead, they, you know, gave these characters... I mean, they're based on real people, so there's that sort of element of, like, they actually did go through these things. Mm -hmm. But I felt like they could have made it a bit more Hollywood. Yeah, they brought a lot of of humanity Mm -hmm. to these characters. One um, kind of movie counterpoint that I can think of, like, is The Blind Side, which got a lot of accolades for Sandra Bullock's performance, but I felt like everyone in that character was that typical, you know, flat shiny, happy people um, characterization that you get in inspirational biopics. Like, um, Michael... I forget, I forget the name of the football player himself. Um, but the, the the football car- player in that movie kind mm, of is, that, yeah. is just like that, you know, gentle giant and doesn't have any other, you know, facets to his personality. So it's, And, like, the family itself is just all very Christian and supportive, and I felt like that is what Queen, Queen of Katwe could have been, but it thankfully was not. And I don't understand, like, like Queen of Katwe, like, is, I feel like it's a better movie than, like, The Blind Side, for example, but it doesn't have any awards buzz compared Mm-mm. to The Blind Side having it back a couple years ago. But again, like, this year is also a very strong award season, I feel like, so maybe that's why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Hollywood probably just doesn't see, they probably just don't see it as kind of breaking any barriers or anything, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because, I mean this movie as we've talked about does a lot more than you think it will mm-hmm. yeah I think that Disney isn't really like their movies don't really get the Oscar no nominations like th- these types they're inspirational movies yeah. granted most of their inspirational movies are pretty flat yeah so maybe that's why it, like it, the Disney label is working for and against them so yeah I mean and then they primarily have like animation in their court mm-hmm. yeah and when they between when them go, and Pixar when it comes to the Oscars and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, Is there anything else you guys want to add about um, Queen of Cutaway? Just that I thought it was really it was it was a, it was a good movie to see on like a, on a Saturday on a weekend, mm-hmm. like just yeah. a couple hours out of your life to just watch this good story. Yeah, it's an unexpected movie for me. I liked yeah. it a lot because I didn't expect it to have the edges that it had. Mm-hmm. Did you guys like the end where they brought out the real people? I did. I got really sweet. emotional for that. Like, <laughs> yeah, same. It was really sweet. I like that a lot. Oh, yeah. It, it happened only, like, I don't know, five years ago. Right? Yeah, the, um, I think the, Four years ago. the main part of the movie, or the, the, the part that starts the movie and then they go backwards is 2011, so yeah, it's yeah. been five years. So they're all, like, around the same age, basically, mm-hmm. a little bit older. But it was really nice to see that. So, and it was so warm. Yeah. Again, yeah, it's like a warm feeling that the movie I like, gives. I like the moment when uh, David Oyelowo's real-life uh, character comes on, and he, he puts his hands around him. Yeah, that and, was cute. And then David Oyelowo looks at him and goes, like, he does the same thing. And I was like, ah! 
<sighs> they were really great. I'm Thank just wondering you. like how much interaction these characters had with their real life counterparts mm-hmm. before the before and during the movie. Um, I can tell you because Lupita Nyong'o and um, Medina uh, Nawanga they did an interview with NPR and they actually talked about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, they, the, the, that. the real life, yeah. the real life Robert Katende was on set like every day. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. And was there all the time. Um, Fiona wasn't because she was in school and mm. um, you know like good for her she's like super dedicated to her studies and so she primarily didn't come to set because she had other things Makes going sense. on um, but I know like they met each other mm-hmm. obviously and yes. did kind of talk to them but yeah apparently Robert Katende was there nice. almost every day and like that he was like- sort of there he was apparently like their chess consultant. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Since, you know, it's chess in real life. Yeah, that makes sense. And I always liked that the chess pieces were like wooden and carved and mm-hmm. they weren't like your standard plastic chess set that mm-hmm. you get from like, I don't know, anywhere. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. You know, they, they made everything their own, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, I like the little one they had. I like the little chess thing they had on the airplane that kind of like locked yeah. in so that way like turbulence could... Not not knock the pieces off. I remember I used to have something like that for checkers. I had like a little magnetic one. Ooh. Yeah. So like a little mini one. I went on a lot of plane trips, so would have yeah. long flights where I would play yeah. rush hour or <laughs> or chess or no chess checkers. <laughs> I had like I had like that exact chess one because um, it's really funny. My dad is a big chess player, mm-hmm. and like he did all sorts of competitions and stuff when I was growing up. Oh. So like my dad was super into chess, and he still is. Um, and he tried to teach me. I'm okay at chess, but my dad's really good. Every um, once in a while, I start to learn chess, and then I fall back. I used to know it, but I, not well. I have a little. I have a Star Wars chess set that I got for a birthday, like maybe ten years ago. That's now. awesome. That's, that got, sounds like you. On the on, on the you know, it's all heroes versus villains. Yeah. And it's like different sagas too. So it's like General uh, Grievous is right next to Emperor Palpatine. It's like I learned chess, but I was not very good at it. I even joined chess club in the second grade but I lost every match mostly because like I don't have good and not good at strategy and logic I was just like I just wanted to be even <laughs> yeah I'm just I'm really bad at the whole like because just you have to think like several moves ahead yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I can think like a few moves ahead and then I get like lost and confused after yeah, yeah. a while um uh, which that that was a great moment in the film when she and Robert are playing by like the water and he's like why aren't you paying attention over here and then she like does it for him and she's like that's why she's like eight steps ahead yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. i was no, I, I fly by the seat of my pants when it comes to competition so i never think about what i'm doing you're the button masher kind of person oh like, totally yeah. super smash brothers melee i'm just gonna <laughs> kick a and b a and b a and b all over the place <laughs> Okay, um, I think that puts a wrap on our review of Queen of Katwe. Please let us know what you think of the movie, and if you haven't seen it, please do. It's a great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give it a rating, guys? Should we do a rating? Ooh, ratings? I don't know. Maybe. I'd say... Uh, do we do it by letter or by, like, number? Let's do it out of, like, five stars. Five stars? Yeah. Four. Okay. I would give it four stars, too. We can do half yeah, stars as well. Yeah, I think I would give... Four. I don't know if I would go four and a half. I think four. No, four. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Four stars from the Millennial Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. I really, 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 really like you. 
Anya, why don't you start us off this week? All right, two things. First one being very quick, but I'm really happy and I'm really digging that the Cubs made it into the World Series. That's so funny. funny. You're from L.A., so I thought you would have wanted the Dodgers. (laughs) First off, no. I do not like (laughs) the Dodgers. Oh, my. My California team is the Angels. Um, I love the Angels. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? Yeah. Yeah. But they had a terrible season this year. So, um, but my mom's actually, um, she's, my mom's been a Cubs fan since before I was born. Mm. Um, so I grew up kind of with the Cubs and Angels in my household. Um, and so I'm really fond of the Cubs just through my mom. Mm. Um, and you know, like the whole historical aspect of it. You're a big like, fan of the underdog. Absolutely. I mean, if they win this year, it'll be the first time since 1908. That's crazy. It's a long time. It's been a long, long time. You know, who's now, pre- but now it's Teddy crazy. Roosevelt was president the last time they won a World Series. Yeah, but now it's like now that they made it to the World Series, like they have to win. Yeah, it's kind of like Boston in 2004. Yeah, they now. can't get like this far and oh, not yeah. win. Yeah, because the last time they made it to the World Series was 1944. Seven, I think, forty-five, sometime in the forties, but they didn't yeah. win. The last time that was the last time they they won a pennant. So now they're back at it again against uh, who are they playing? They're playing the Indians. The Indians. Yeah, and so I really, I just really hope the Cubs win. Um, I'm fond. I'm very fond of them. I just wish so. it was 2015 so they could uh, right. recreate the, the Back to the Future prophecy that they would win in 2015. Oh, no, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, because they were in the playoffs last season. Yeah, that's what everyone was talking about. That's why everyone was freaking out. Yeah, (laughs) on October 21st, Back to the Future Day. Uh, Because that was right around the same time. I think the Cubs lost, like, a couple days after Back to the Future Day. Mm. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But hopefully the curse of the goat will be gone soon. And hopefully they win. Um, That was really quick. But I just wanted to say, also, I'm really liking um, No Tomorrow. The CW show, it's, like, my new happy place in terms of television. It just it just makes me so, like, happy and hopeful whenever I watch it. Um, apparently, it's doing terrible ratings-wise, which... Is it, on, is it on Fridays, or is it on, like... No, it's on Mondays, right? It's on Tuesdays. Tuesdays. So it's after, actually right after The Flash. After The Flash. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it the should Flash, have a good lead-in. Yeah, because The Flash gets the had the best it ratings. It has the best ratings for the CW. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm kind of bummed it's not doing better. Joshua Sassy just can't seem to be on a good ratings show. <laughs> Maybe um, it's his curse. Yeah, poor they're guy. Try, they're trying really hard, though, because I heard that he's shirtless in, like, every episode of No Tomorrow. It's a really good show. Like, it just... It, it's bright and happy, and it makes me happy. Um, and Crazy Ex Girlfriend came back this week, so I I'm watched just the premiere. CW. I did too. It was very good. I liked it. CW is killing it with their shows. Yeah, CW is just doing so well, mm-hmm. and, and they I, they make me happy. I like that they are. I know, I know they were taking off Hulu, but their app seems to, has been working for me. It's pretty good. Like their ads are a little bit slow to load and annoying, but yeah. on Roku it's it's fine because um, it's on Roku. Yeah. I have Roku. You gotta get Roku. Gotta get the CW. I didn't know there was a CW. Okay, now I'm really excited. I was only watching on my computer, and I was like, "This sucks." Gotta okay. Blast it onto the TV. Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) I'm excited now. All right. Go watch CW, friends. Okay. Um, Willoughby, what is your really like for this week? Um, the third Wolverine standalone uh film trailer premiered uh, on Wednesday. Was it? Yes. Wednesday. Yeah. It was Wednesday. Um. Uh, the movie's called Logan, which I thought it was really interesting because 
the Wolverine movies have always had different titles. So the first one was X-Men Origins, colon, Wolverine. Not X-Men, colon, Origins, colon, Wolverine. They, like, tried to do this weird... They were going to have, like, a Magneto movie and all the other different, like... And then they just did First Class. Yeah. And then the second movie in the series of the standalones was The Wolverine, which is based off of the the, the, the storyline where Wolverine goes to Japan. Um, and then this one is just called Logan. So he's stripping his Wolverine-ness away, and you can tell in the trailer that he's like, uh, his healing power is not as good as it, it should be. He's bleeding, he's got scars. It's that many years in the future. It's many years in the future, his healing power has either denigrated or something happened to him, we don't, we don't know yet. Um, and Charles Xavier is there, and, and like it looks like a really like personal, intimate movie between Charles Xavier, Logan, and this girl who has... According to Charles, very similar abilities to Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, I'm excited to see this movie. I've always, I did not like X Men Origins Wolverine. I really liked the Wolverine. Um, I bought the extended Blu-ray that has like 20 more, 20, 30 more minutes of plot and action, and uh, I like it. So I'm excited to see where this is going. I actually have not seen any of the Wolverine movies, but I am interested in this one, even though it looks like. Um, you can Wolverine, skip, you, you the can, road. You can skip Origins <laughs> yeah. completely. The Wolverine is actually a really good movie. Yeah. yeah it has a it weird, out. it goes real blockbuster comic booky at the end, mm-hmm. and it kind of takes you out, but most of the movie is, is like, good, and it's it's got, like, a very similar, like, intimate and personal mm-hmm. style to it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, my really like for this week is... A series I discovered on Netflix that um, I was kind of watching in hopes of doing research for my Japan trip next week. I thought it's called Midnight Diner Tokyo Stories. Um, I thought it was going to be a documentary on on food in Tokyo, but it was actually a fictional series um, where there's a short story every episode. Um, it set, takes place at this diner that's open from midnight to 7 a.m., and it's kind of like, got that, like, bar story sort of vibe to it. It's kind of like all these characters come in, and it's like, it focuses on their story every episode, and, like, the dish that kind of binds whatever story together. So, like, and each episode is, is like, titled after that specific dish. So there's just, like, um, amru rice, which is omelet rice. It's a specific, like, kind of Japanese Western fusion dish. There's, like, um some sort of soba or like a ramen and it kind of tells all these really fun like sometimes rom-commy stories sometimes kind of sad stories and i really like it it's like a little series of vignettes like tales of busing say style mm-hmm. um That's awesome. like, yeah it's really sweet it's on netflix and netflix original series um and it's um a jap it's a japanese japanese actors and actresses um is it subtitled or is it's, it it's subtitled yeah. yeah um i the one i watched recently it's only half-hour episodes. So the one I watched recently was a really interesting one about a man who was a professional gambler suddenly gets, like, a kid, like, dropped off on his door from, like, his ex, and he's like, oh, I have to watch over this kid now. And then, like, he tries to save, like, this prostitute from, you know, her lifestyle and stuff, and, like, the kid kind of is the one that binds them all together and, like, their love for this one like tofu dish and it's really sweet and kind of like doesn't have a romantic ending which I liked so I wanted to give a shout out to this surprising little series that 
is hidden in the depths of Netflix. Are there like what's it called again? Um, Tokyo Diner, um, no Midnight Diner, Tokyo Stories. Are th- is there like the chef is like a mainstay character? Is there one yeah. person or one a couple people within each episode that like stays? No, yeah, like the chef is the main character. He like narrates all the stories oh, cool. of the people who come in and is like, oh, this person like has been a regular, blah blah, blah like, and kind of like. It doesn't just take place in the diner, too. Like, it starts off there, but then it kind of goes off into, like, their little story and stuff. So it's, like, anthology, but not, not like, Black Mirror, Twilight Zone anthology. No, it's just, like, sweet little, like, slice-of-life stories, sometimes sad. Um, there was a cute one with, like, um, a uh, Japanese, like, physicist who met, like, this Korean girl who was working at, like, a bar, and, like, then... It was a meet cute sort of thing. Like she shared her umbrella, and then like you couldn't find her. Blah blah blah. And then so it was a cute story. I like him. Nice. It's cute. Um. So yeah, that's my really like for this week. Awesome. So guys, if you have any thoughts on Queen of Cotway, or the Logan trailer, or Midnight Diner Tokyo stories, the Cubs making it into the World Series, or any CW shows, definitely come chat with us about all of those things and more. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Uh, our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on iTunes and Google Play and SoundCloud where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. And where can they find you guys? I am at HTrendBooey on Twitter. I am at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And I am at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye! Bye.